Well, I don't know who thought the rollout of the vaccine would be, you know, perfect. You're talking about a pandemic, Operation Warp Speed, you know, a rush to a vaccine and a rush to get it out. And, of course, the states, communities, counties, cities, you know, they're the ones that know best uh, how to deliver the vaccine, even though we're seeing a lot of a mess all around the country. But I don't know. I think it speaks well for Delaware that uh, they're ramping it up and fixing it as best they can when it comes to delivery. The downside of uh, of all of this is that uh, the government, the federal government, decided they're going to release all of the vaccine, all of the second doses, to get more people vaccinated. There's some good sides and downsides to that. Of course, you heard the downside here with the uh, Delaware Volunteer Firefighters Association president saying it's creating a lot of uncertainty and a lot of concern amongst emergency medical personnel throughout the state of Delaware. And, of course, last Saturday was a big mess because, well, in the opinion of many people, including myself, I think they just signed up too many people. You got over 3,000 people on Saturday, but then they were able to do about 24, 23, 2400 on Sunday with fewer problems. Uh, somebody who really has a good handle on all of this is Dr. Sandra Gibney. She's been involved from the very, very beginning in many different ways, testing people and administering the vaccine. 25 years in emergency department uh, practice, as well as being board-certified physician here in Delaware. She's on the phone right now. Dr. Gibney, Sandy, thanks for being on. Hi, Rick. Good morning. I guess it's the afternoon. Well, considering the fact I get text messages from you at 2 o'clock in the morning and then 4 o'clock in the morning, you're working 24-7. I would not expect you to know what time of day it is. <laughs> you're right there. You got it, 100%. I know. You know, it, by the way, folks, if anybody has a question about the vaccines, bring it now. We've got a few minutes here with Sandra. 302-529-1017, 529-1017. She's smart and fearless. So I have a couple of questions, and it's really based upon concerns by listeners. We see that Pfizer recommends uh, the second dose in 21 days, Moderna in 28 days. And now we have the government and scientists saying 42 days is acceptable. So what have researchers and scientists said about this over the years? Mm -hmm. So um, first I want to say that every person that gets vaccinated helps all of us. So for that reason, you know, it's been looked at is what's the ideal window or interval between the first dose and then the giddy up booster dose for your immune system for a lot of other vaccines. Um, So it's not um, out of the realm that on Thursday when CDC came out and said that 42 days or six weeks after the first dose, it would be appropriate for the second dose to be given as the wake-up booster for the immune system. Like I said, um, the virus outnumbers all of us. So the whole idea here is this is a form of rationing. We have the true colors of people coming out, knowing whether or not um, you know a person deserves or should get the vaccine. Every person who gets vaccinated helps all of us. So when we look at um, you know who should be um, the ones vaccinated, do we protect the people who are most at risk of getting sick? Do we maintain our healthcare workforce? Or do we use those people that keep the economy moving um, and, and help those people? Um, I think the consensus is that we always need to protect the, those most at risk, um, nursing homes, healthcare, congregate settings, people that can't distance, and then our first responders, people who circulate widely in the population. Um, I would love to say that we had a whole library of vaccines and 
and uh, everybody could get it tomorrow. But, you know, as you said, it's just not feasible. So CDC recommendations are not out of line to say that we could defer um, another two weeks for the second shot. It will not diminish our immune response if we do it within the first six weeks. And that's been recently done with hepatitis B and other viral type illnesses. Um, that second one, as you know, the first dose, they're claiming that you get 50% protection. You know, it's a roll of the wheel there. It's 50-50. But after the second, we're looking into the high 90s or mid 90s. So um, there is a variation as whether or not how much someone be protected with that first dose. Um, but the greater good, I think, here um, and not harming anybody um, in the long run is um, is to vaccinate those people most at risk. And so that's what the state, I believe, and I don't speak to the state. Um, I can't, um, but I, I, I am in good contact with some of the folks that are doing um, decisions there. And I would say that it's a decision for the greater good and to get as many people, you know, we've talked about herd immunity in here and knowing that probably 20% of the population in, in the United States has had COVID. So those 20% of the people, and even in Delaware, the percentage that um, were positive with COVID, those people need to understand that they probably don't need to get in line to be vaccinated. In fact, 90 days is a bare minimum for you, A, to get an immune response, and B, um, so that you don't, your own antibodies don't inactivate the vaccine that you got. So we take that 20% of the population that um, in the United States that probably has natural immunity, um, then in order to reach herd immunity, we need to get about 50% of the population to make that magic 70, 80%. Um, so I think that's part of what we're looking at is, um, you know, getting the greater good. All right. And I want people to know that Dr. Gibney has been truly an honest player here, being critical uh, often of uh, the way this is done and then helping us understand uh, about the vaccines and such like that. I look at the rollouts around the country and such, and I understand the confusion. I I understand uh, a lot of the complications and all. A lot of people are angry, thinking that they should have had this thing totally, you know, figured out uh, in the spring at all. But uh, but it changes, and and the vaccine changes as well. So with all these things, all these different moving parts and all, what's uh, what's going on now with these uh, these variants? The United Kingdom, Brazil, uh, South African variants. And and the booster, like I know Moderna is uh, is promoting a booster for that as well. How is this affecting or might affect the distribution of the vaccine? Yeah, and so what you're referring to is the UK variant, which has now been given a name based upon how it's changed its appearance. So the UK variant is B117, which appears to be more transmissible and, in fact, may be, be more deadly. Um, Dr. Policy had just mentioned recently that they've looked at that. Um, and so those two variants um, have been very concerning, especially now with the South Af- African variant just being discovered in, in South Carolina. Now, I do know that uh, the Moderna vaccine has announced that their vaccine in, um, in vitro, meaning in um, the test tube, not in real people, but their vaccine has produced antibodies versus both the, the UK variant and the South African variant. Um, with the South African variant, they felt the titers were, were not quite as high. But the point being is their vaccine, Moderna, 
um, it's able to be effective against the UK and South African variants. But having said that, um, they are targeting Moderna in particular, a booster shot. Um, um, should this um, South African variant become the dominant variant, and as I said before, like a virus will change, it's a chameleon, it'll change its appearance to us, whatever it can, to slither in the door, because if you can't get in yourself, it can't replicate and live. So anything it can do to change its costume, to kind of trick itself in, and that's where these variants come into play. And so, uh, so the Moderna is making a booster to try to target some of those very unique changes in the protein, the amino acid and protein sequence. Um, we, we know that there's some that, have, have, you know, Merck dropped out of the, the vaccine hunt um, because they had poor phase one, but we also know that it's ongoing research that's going to really affect whether or not we need to get booster shots every year, whether or not we're going to change our shots every year. I mean, it would be my goal, and I'm praying for the next two to three weeks for Johnson & Johnson to come out with a single-dose adenovirus um, model. Um, and, and that is, I've been told, you know, again, don't hold me, but I've been told that that's the case, that Johnson & Johnson's one-dose um, adenovirus would uh, be available or at least come out for review in the next couple of weeks. So I got a, question, a couple of questions about that, Sandra. I, a couple of questions about Johnson Johnson. Uh, we know that uh, Pfizer and Moderna have about a ninety-five percent effective uh, result, which is which is awesome. I mean, that, that's 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 an amazing number. Uh, what is Johnson Johnson's estimated efficacy? So they're saying probably around seventy percent. Um, the the interesting thing is that. that some vaccines do better on um, elderly greater than 65. The AstraZeneca trial was looking at, you know, just starting um, with children, but the AstraZeneca vaccine seems to be not quite as effective when you're over 65. So, you know, it's, it's gonna, you're going to be getting like a shopping list of eventually vaccines, and you're going to have to make some decisions um, on your own. What, do you, what kind of vaccine do you want to get? And right now, Obviously, we don't have that luxury, but hopefully yeah. in, May, in May and later, um, you know, we may have that luxury. And, and I know some people are really concerned about, you know, anaphylaxis or severe allergic reactions. There's been 10 cases with Moderna, 21 with Pfizer, but these are after almost 2 million doses being given out. Um, yeah, that's, so, and that's the key. There's a, there's a woman who uh, was on the show, and she was just a listener, very concerned. She saw on YouTube, 29 people have died, and it really scared her. But it, but that's in relation to how many people who have actually gotten the vaccine. Right, and we know that the median interval from the vaccine to onset of symptoms has been looked at in just a small group, and approximately it's like 7.5 minutes from the time they get the vaccine. The latest one um Typically, with like 13 minutes, there was one outlier. The median age, believe it or not, uh, was 47 years of age females. All of them got adrenaline or epinephrine. Um, only six required overnight hospitalization. Four, unfortunately, required intubation. But in the whole scheme of things, we're keeping people after the vaccine for 15 minutes because of that data so that we just want to make sure that we are there medically um, to assist them should they need it. But the airway issues have been small. And I'm going to tell you that um, in reviewing those, um, especially the, the 21 cases of fiber, all among those who had severe reactions had a history of allergic reactions. 
Um, so the rate of 2.5 cases per million of Moderna doses is really kind of small when you look at the big picture of it, especially given these folks already had a history. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of debate right now, Sandra, about whether or not we should be opening schools. Dr. Fauci had said, you know, close the bars, open the schools. The CDC has issued a second report now uh, showing that schools are not super spreaders. However, as minuscule as the numbers are, some kids uh, do catch this. And um, you've even texted me and said, you know, you have these covid illness in children called MIS-C. Tell us about that. Yeah. So <clears throat> essentially, we feel that this is a COVID-linked illness in children. Um, we call it Miss, Miss C um, because it's um, easier to say that um, than a multi-organ, you know, system, systemic inflammatory response. It's been found in 47 states. It, it has killed kids. Um, typically, the, it's almost like what we call uh an appearance like slap cheek and um, Kawasaki used to be a, a common childhood illness that created a similar type uh, inflammatory storm, if you would. Um, but the kids' the immune system is um, so naive that it just throws out everything it has to try to fight off after viral infections, not typically during, but after. Um, and they present with the rash, which is typically um, an inflammatory uh, state of the blood vessels, vasculitis, and then they get the fever, um, again, because the immune system is all jacked up with pyrogens trying to fight it, and then GI symptoms um, like diarrhea and belly aches. So in kids, um, you know, you're right, we don't see it as frequently. Um, I've seen it, I personally have seen it, you know, in Delaware, in in as young as five years old, but um, it's not common, Um, but, but again, scary. Um, for these parents that have had, the, you know, and it's usually after the kids have gotten seemingly well, and then they just hit. So, and by um, the way, I want I want folks to know, listening to this, that according to the CDC, uh, fewer than ten kids uh, in in Delaware have actually yeah. got this, and around the entire country, uh, there have been twenty six deaths around the entire country of you know over three hundred million people in this country. I just want people to know that. Uh, that's that. Those are the odds, and it's very, very minuscule. Thank God. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, uh, AstraZeneca is now currently because, as you know, the the two vaccines are only approved for sixteen and over um, in age, and but the AstraZeneca now is is trialing with children five, as young as five and over, and so um, you know, people are looking that uh, that I guarantee you that that we will vaccinate our children. Um, those that won it, of course, but but I, w- within a year, I believe that this is personal opinion, but I believe that we'll vaccinate the kids just like we vaccinate for every other god awful thing that comes through. Um, I think there's like 17 vaccines I can give a child. So, um, yeah, I, that that's definitely something rash, fever, GI symptoms, you know, that's that, that's that the, sort of thing, yeah. Appearance. Yep. Uh, on the lighter side, for those of us like myself, uh, my wife will tell you that the 13-year-old boy is alive and well in my brain. Beijing has a new anal swab for detecting COVID. So I just leave a little pause there because that just seems wrong. But what's the story of that? Is it more effective or something? Or what's the deal? Yeah, so um, I guess... Um 
more than a million um, Beijing residents were told to bend over, um, <laughs> and they were given this test. Um, and um, they were excited that they felt that they were able to be uh, very effectively uh, pick up uh, COVID-19 infection by um, swallowing the uh, yes, yeah, exactly. region. So, but, but again, yeah. I, you know, I don't know that that's the best test for mass uh, testing. Um, but, um, I, you know, I just put it out there that they, they put that it was possibly more effective. You shed the virus in your feces. That's the bottom line. Well, also, that kind of ties in with something that's uh, actually meaningful, which is early on, County Executive Matt Meyer, Newcastle County, contracted with this uh, scientific group to, uh, to track coronavirus in the sewers. Now, it doesn't show neighborhood to neighborhood, but it does show different areas and districts based upon the combined sewer overflow. And uh, he was actually on this program months ago saying, oh, look, here's the areas where we can actually track the virus by testing it as it goes through the sewers. Um, we haven't really talked about this much on the show. I mentioned it because it is quite controversial of an idea. The vaccine passport. We're seeing this uh, from the Biden administration being uh, seriously uh, considered and saying if you're going to do uh, any, any sort of travel, things like that, show that you have had the vaccine either by paper or your smartphone. Do you think this is going to become the law of the land or what's your take on it? Yeah, I definitely think that that's, that's going to head, that you're going to have to have an app on your phone to demonstrate that you've been vaccinated um, in order to probably to fly um, airplane or fly or travel on a bus or travel uh, in a, in a train um, just because we know that these um, are areas where simply talking um, and, and Newsweek, Newsweek had looked at an indoor environment study and showed that talking spread COVID more than coughing uh, because we talk a lot more than we cough, I think is, is the rationale. But, but yes, yeah, so these mandates will be plane, train, public transportation, and probably healthcare um, in some industries to say, you know, and most of the healthcare systems, they require either ma- vaccine or mask for influenza. So I think right. it's coming. So uh, Dr. Senator Gibney has been involved with this uh, very, very, uh, well, every single day, you know, throughout the, the entire pandemic. Anything else you want folks to know before we wrap up? So there's a relatively new report out that colchicine, which is a rheumatoid drug, gout drug, um, may decrease symptoms and decrease the risk of death and hospitalization by 20%. Um, and so it's an early phase study. There are only 4,500 patients enrolled, but it's showing some promise. Um, and today, I'm sure you saw something about they're coming back up about the um, hydroxychloroquine. A small study has said, well, maybe it is somewhat effective after all. Um, so, but I don't think anyone's going to do any bleach, um, IV. Um, oh, I, I, that, that was so ridiculous. So politically stupid. I mean, the fact that you have people with any sort of authority or saying that, that, that the president said that was absolutely ridiculous, uh, because they're also forwarding this misconception and all. It's just, there's a lot of yeah. nutty stuff out there. And that's why I'm glad we have you, Dr. Gibney, to cut through all the nutty stuff. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Your 14-year-old is alive and well. I'm pretty sure I can tell you that. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, all, I'm still there for a good butt joke. What the heck? Yeah. All, right. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Uh, <laughs> you don't need that stuff when you go to the airport. Here, you're gonna, where are you going to fly to? Milwaukee? All right, bend over. Let's check. No, no, we don't need that. Let's get to a break. And we'll be back after this. 